0: This podcast is brought to you by the Administrative Committee of the Presbyterian Church in America, promoting the unity, purity, and progress of the Church. Learn more about the Administrative Committee and support its work at pcaac.org. This is Gifts and Graces. Every year, the Administrative Committee hosts seminars that focus on various aspects of ministry from leaders around the PCA. While we had to postpone the General Assembly in 2020, our presenters were gracious enough to record their presentations. We're excited to share those seminars with you on gifts and graces. Listen now to Rachel Craddock and Marcy Tooten with their seminar entitled Refreshed! Gospel Hope for Those Who Suffer in the Midst of Serving Others.
1: Hi, my name is Rachel Craddock, and I am a PCA pastor's wife and a mom to four children, ages 11, 9, 8, and 6, and I also serve with CDM on the National Women's Ministry Team as a regional advisor to women in Mid-America, and we are, I'm here with my um, friend Marcy Tooten. Hi, Marcy.
2: Hi, Rachel. Um, Like Rachel said, I'm Marcy, and I um, am a ruling elder's wife in Atlanta, Georgia, and I have three girls, nine, and one is almost eight and three, and I serve the PCA as um, a women's ministry trainer.
1: And we are recording a seminar for General Assembly together. I'm here in Mason, Ohio, and she is in Atlanta, Georgia. And we are recording our seminar, Refreshed, Gospel Hope for Those Who Suffer in the Midst of Serving Others. So the way this is going to work is I'm going to teach the first part, and then Marcy is going to teach the second part. And we pray that this time would just be a blessing and an encouragement to you. So I'm going to pray and get started. Um, Lord, I thank you so much for this time to see Marcy um, on the screen and to teach your word. Um, I do pray because I feel like a very weak teacher. Um and Lord I know that I personally don't have anything that is very profound to say. Um but I do pray that my words would be your words. Um I pray for Marcy and I that we would be an encouragement um that that our words would be truth, your truth. And um Lord that that we would point um whoever is listening to our seminar to you. That we would point um whoever is with us to Jesus. So please be with us for these next few minutes. Um, and it is your name, in your name that we ask these things. Amen. Okay, so um, I am going to be spending some time talking about the gospel refreshment of Christ's confidence. And I'm going to be in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 7 through 12. And then also in verses 16 through 18. So just some background for 2 Corinthians. Um, Paul's main purpose for writing 2 Corinthians was to show the relationship between suffering and the power of the Spirit in his ministry. Paul argues that weakness is the means by which believers grow to rely on and rest in the Lord. And Paul writes with a lot of passion and zeal. Paul is zealous. um, I think about Romans 12, 11, where um, it says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. And um, he writes with this zeal to the church in Corinth because there was a small minority of spiritual influencers who were boasting about their human courage and their earthly strength. And these leaders opposed Paul because they claimed that Christ couldn't be with Paul because of all the suffering that Paul endured in his ministry. Um, But Paul longed to see these people who opposed him to repent. um, And he longed to see future believers find comfort in Christ, um, the believers in Corinth, and even us now, that we would find our comfort in Christ when we are facing weaknesses or afflictions or sufferings. The other thing I love about Second Corinthians is the historical context of the culture in in Corinth reflects the contemporary culture that we live in today. The people in Corinth boasted in individualism, and they were awed by individuals based on their personal health and wealth. And I think that's a lot of our culture today. A lot of people are very individualistic. And... um, you know, personally, if I see someone that is healthy and wealthy, you know, I can feel the sinful nature kind of boast, like lift that up a little bit. Um, but, that that's not the way that we are called to live. We are not to boast in um, our personal health and wealth. We are to boast in Christ as believers and to boast in weakness was a radical way to live then. And I think it's a really radical way to live now. Um, In the ancient culture, Paul boasted in Christ and he elevated the savior while serving others. And I think as believers, we have the opportunity to do that in the present day. Um, We can elevate the savior when we are weak in the midst of suffering while serving others. So for the next few minutes um, I have here, the main idea is Jesus was Paul's refreshment in the midst of his personal suffering. Paul was confident in Christ's power, which allowed him to serve others while he himself endured suffering. And I'm going to do it this. I'm going to show that in two ways. Um, the hope of leaning into Christ's confidence and the future hope um, of of the resurrection um, and glory that we have to look forward to. So I'm going to read from God's word, 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 12. And God's word says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body, the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus's sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Um, the, Paul talks about this phrase jars of clay in 2 Corinthians 4 7 as a metaphor for weakness. The word used in this verse of scripture refers to Greek earthen jars that were nothing more than I think what I would compare to like a Gladware container today. It was a container that could would hold knickknacks and to the Corinthians, the, the jars did not have any value in, or importance. So if they were broken, they could be easily replaced. And what Paul is saying is that we have treasure um, in a jar of clay that the, tre- and the treasure refers to the knowledge of God we have in the face of Christ. Um, in 2 Corinthians 1 21 through 22, uh, Paul writes, And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us, and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. We have this treasure. Of the knowledge of God in the face of Christ and we have the guarantee and the anointing of the Holy Spirit God's Word says we are frail weak replaceable containers and it isn't the container that is um, impressive Um, the container is temporary but what's remarkable is the power that lives inside the container this power is an eternal treasure able to shine brightly through flimsy, frail, replaceable containers. We have this power because of our union with Christ. Our hope is not in the container, but what the container holds. On page 41 of Life-Giving Leadership, Karen Hodge and Susan Hunt write, often the gospel shines brightest from the person and place of greatest weakness. As believers, we are called to seasons of affliction and personal suffering while serving others. But inwardly, there is great power and comfort to overcome affliction with Christ's confidence. And we are not unique or strange or alone while we suffer. We have the promise of Christ's presence and through the power that lives inside of us in the midst of personal suffering. We also are not unique or strange or alone when we suffer because We also share that this common struggle with other fellow believers. We're not the only one um, that is suffering or afflicted. We share the struggle with other Christians. The Westminster Confession of Faith says all saints that are united to Jesus Christ, their head by his spirit and by faith, have fellowship with him in his grace, sufferings, death resurrection and glory and being united to one another in love. They have communion in each other's gifts and graces. So we, you know, we share in Christ's sufferings. Um, and we also just have the blessing of being united to one another as we experience suffering in this life. Uh, Paul just continually teaches us in Second Corinthians that weakness is necessary to reflect God's glory. When we are empty of our human power, God fills us to the measure with his power. He writes about that in Ephesians 3, that um, we are to keep on being filled by his power. And the gospel shines brightly through the courageous faithfulness of broken and afflicted people when they serve others, um, even when they're weak and suffering. Second Corinthians four 11 through 12 says for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you, the word death here in the Greek refers to a continual process of dying. Um, it's like a, it's a resurrection mindset of sacrificing what is old for the sake of growing up into something new, um, something that's totally different than the old self. The process of dying bears the good gospel fruit of new life. Christ's confidence is grown through a process of dying, through a million little deaths and resurrection. Our time in this world is spent in the flimsy container of an earthly vessel for a fleeting amount of time. And we cannot really lean into this resurrection mindset until we understand the truth of our limited human power, um, that we are weak and we need Christ and we need his power. We must die to our earthly mindsets, um, our earthly worries, our earthly fears and our earthly circumstances to see Christ's life formed in us. As we lean into our lives in this resurrection mindset, this continual process of dying the process of dying spreads the message of the gospel dying to the old self magnifies the savior as we continually give our lives over to him um we don't you know in this kind of life that we live in christ confidence and not self-confidence we don't want to draw attention to ourselves or our spectacular faith or abilities but we humbly give ourselves over to the resurrecting power of christ his divine power works in and through us. And I'm going to be honest, it's really pain like it's painful to die to the old self, to earthly passions and attitudes and comforts and hope for desires. Um, it's uncomfortable, um, and it's painful, and it hurts. But as we die, new life is formed, new life grows. And this new life changes us and has the power to display God's transforming power in the world. And um, the word confidence actually comes from the Latin word fides, which means faith and con, which is a prefix meaning with full trust is the idea behind the word confidence. Paul says clearly put no confidence in the flesh. Becoming a Christ confident follower means dying to self. Jesus, our life giving leader, said in John 12 24 through 25, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Um, To quote life-giving leadership again, we must die to live and we must die to leave. Death is painful and scary, but death is necessary for life, his life formed in us. We die to our fears. Perhaps it means dying to our reputation or comfort or convenience. Maybe it's dying to our plans, dreams, or agendas. Life-giving leadership is sacrificial. It's costly and it's daily. It's glorious and it's significant. It's life-giving because it abides in Christ and bears gospel fruit. That's such a good word from life-giving leadership. And, um... You know, I confess that recording this seminar, I've had to die to a lot of things as I've thought and prayed about recording this because, um, you know, it would be comfortable for me to say no to this. But I desire to depend on Christ um, and I desire to rest and rely on his power that works in and through me. Gospel hope for those who suffer in the midst of serving others is that we do not rely on the container, but what the treasure that the container holds, our confidence comes from Christ in us. He is the hope of glory. This is, um, there's great power inside of the hearts of all who believe and the gospel keeps pointing us back to Christ. It gives us the hope and freedom that we have to really rest, to give us a posture of resting in his power. Um, so that is the the hope we have of resting and relying on Christ's confidence. But we also have the gospel hope of a future transformation. So I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians 4:16 through 18. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we, looked not, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul's hope, um, as he continues to write in 2 Corinthians 4, is not in his current circumstances, but the transforming work of the Spirit. This transforming hope is rooted in ultimate future restoration and glory. Our future hope, influences the way we live in our present realities. Um, there is this old self, new self in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. The outer self and the inner self give us a bigger picture of kind of this big gospel story. The outer self refers to our eternal status in the first Adam, a status that leads to death. And our The inner self refers to our status in the last Adam, who is Christ. Our status in Christ is strengthening and being renewed while our former self passes away and decays. R. Kent Hughes in his commentary on 2 Corinthians says, We ought ourselves to be heartened because Paul's experience is a template to our life in Christ. The deconstruction is typically messy, but the daily transformation is beautiful. Um, I grew up, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer when I was seven years old and she passed away from breast cancer when I was 14 years old and I didn't yet know Christ as, um, I didn't have a personal relationship with Christ at that time. And I went through a lot of years of just grieving, um, without the hope of the gospel, without the hope of Christ's confidence and hope in a future transformation, and it was a really difficult time of trying to find comfort in the things in this world that are transient and fleeting. But, um, by God's grace, um, he changed my heart. Um, not because of anything I did, but because he loved me and he chose me and him before the foundation of the world when I was 21 years old. And, um, you know, gave me a heart to love him and eyes to see his word and a heart that's sensitive to, to want to grow up into Christ likeness. And um, because of my breast cancer history, because my mom had breast cancer when I was younger, I've just always been watched for imaging um, and testing. In 2014, I did some gene testing and I learned I had the PALV2 gene mu- mutation. And in 2018, my doctors told me I was 35 years old um, with four kids, ages, you know, under the age of 10. And I was told I needed to have, it was being recommended that I would have a bilateral, bilateral prophylactic mastectomy. And that means it's a preventative double mastectomy. And I think this season was so difficult. I'm a pastor's wife. Um, We love leading discipleship groups. I lead the women's ministry here in our church in Mason, Ohio, and we just love to serve others. And God really brought me to a season where I needed others to serve me um, as I walked through this difficult season that pulled on a lot of the threads in my personal story, um, thinking about my children having the same experience that I had, um, and just walking through a physical suffering of losing, you know, parts of my body and going through deconstruction and reconstruction, um, and just the emotional threads there, it was all very um, challenging and difficult. But my hope was that, you know, I don't, my hope and my faith is not in this body My hope is that God is making me into something new and I have a future hope that in the new heavens and the new earth, I will have a resurrected body that is perfect and new. And I think that's a truth that really carried me in that time. I think my present and earthly afflictions feel heavy and burdensome to me. Um, It didn't feel light Uh, When my mother um, had breast cancer and it did not feel light when she passed away and it did not feel light when I walked through that season Um, The deconstruction really is messy and hard, but the transformation really is beautiful The gospel refreshment of Christ's confidence and future glory allow me to see that what feels heavy to me during this temporary time on earth will be light in comparison So the heaviness of glory I will experience um, in the new heavens and the new earth. You know, our light afflictions right now are preparing us for heavy glory. And we don't look to the things that we see because those are transient. Um, It's the things that we can't see um, that are eternal. And that's where our focus and our eyes should be fixed on when we are in the midst of suffering while serving others. So a few questions. Where is your full trust? Is your full trust in the power of Christ in you? Um, Is it in that Christ confidence? Is your full trust in a future hope um, and being restored in glory? Paul could boast in his weaknesses because his hope was in a future glory and his confidence was in Christ. His focus was not on what was seen, but what is unseen. I'm going to just close here with um, Revelation 21, 4 through 5, and then I'm going to turn it over to Marcy. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death, shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. So I hope while you are in the midst of suffering while serving others, you will just keep your eyes fixed on the power of Christ in you and you will look um, to the hope that he is making all things new. So Marcy, I'm going to turn it over to you.
0: When the PCA wants to do something as a denomination, it depends on the AC. When the PCA wants to get together and conduct the business of the church, the PCA depends on AC to coordinate General Assembly. When the PCA wants to maintain relationships with other denominations, the PCA depends on AC to coordinate interchurch relations. When the PCA wants to study an important matter, the PCA depends on the AC to coordinate study committees. When the PCA needs to hear and rule on important discipline cases, the PCA depends on the AC to coordinate the work of the standing judicial commission. The PCA depends on the AC and the AC depends on generous churches and individuals like you. Learn more about our work and how you can support it at pcaac.org.
2: Thank you, Rachel. Um, it is always so refreshing to hear you um, speak and. T- especially today to remind us of our confidence that can be found in Christ alone. Um, Now we're going to pivot and look at applying what Rachel has just talked about to living out our lives in a horizontal way, kind of like her story about her season of suffering and how she was the one who had to be served. We all are with people and around people and we need people in our lives. And sometimes in ministry, we are the ones who are serving. Sometimes we are the ones being served. Um, and so that's what we're going to talk about now. Um, the irony that I am speaking to y'all on community from, um, a video instead of to your beautiful faces in Birmingham is not lost on me. I, um, am sad that we can't be together, but, um, I guess this is the best we could do um, and if there's one thing that living through this global pandemic has driven home is that we were not made to live alone right being only by ourselves all the time is not good um, now some of you might have experienced this time of sheltering in place and worshiping from home and canceled events as um, refreshing and a welcome retreat um, but Others of you are just cannot wait to be back with groups of family and friends and neighbors and church members. Um, No matter where you find yourself on the spectrum, I'm here to remind you that we are created for community. As early as Adam in the garden, we see that life alone is not good. God wants us to be with others. And for many of us, businesses are opening up, churches are going back to in-person worship and plans are starting to be made for future events. And um, so we're preparing to go back out into life and ministry. So what is it going to look like for us to be refreshed by others and to be a refreshment to others? It starts, of course, as Rachel reminded us, by looking to the eternal things that are unseen, by looking to God, who is the source of the surpassing power, and remembering that we have the light of Christ shining out of the cracks in these broken vessels that are our bodies. Um, In his book, True Community, Jerry Bridges says, a community relationship among believers presupposes a living relationship with God and is, in fact, dependent on it. Where there There is no vital union with Christ, there can be no sharing of the common life that believers have in him. In the same manner, if (laughs) believers are to share with one another in communion, they must first have something to share something obtained only through communion with God. We can only share what we have, and what we have can only come from Christ. In John 15, we read, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I am him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And then I'm going to skip down a little bit. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. The fruit we will bear by abiding in Christ is what Galatians calls the fruit of the Spirit. And they are what we need to live rightly in community, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. As these fruits come to bear in our lives, it will drastically change our relationships, which will help us to build up the body of Christ, because it's going to bond us together. In Ephesians 4, Paul says, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bonds of peace. As you can see, there are several overlaps in the fruit of the spirit list and the ways that we walk in a manner worthy of our calling. The first one is humility. Edward T. Welch in his book, Caring for One Another, says, humility is simply acknowledging our sins and limitations, and it responds with, I need Jesus and I need others. This is one that's important for us to remember Not so much when we are suffering, but when others are doing so. It is so easy to acknowledge our need when we're in a stressful situation. Um, When we're overwhelmed by life, we might be quick to say, I need Jesus and I need other people. What's harder for some of us, or at least for me, is to walk alongside women who are hurting in a humble way. I'm quick to think, you need Jesus and you need me, instead of thinking, I need Jesus and I need you my friend who's suffering. Um, Gentleness is the second quality we see here, and that is being kind, tender, or mild-mannered. Praying and asking the Lord to help us have tender hearts toward others and mild-mannered responses will grow our relationships and will strengthen the bonds of peace. The third overlap um, in those two lists is uh, the word patience. Uh, New Oxford American Dictionary defines it as the capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry or upset. Um, So when was the last time that you tolerated a delay in your women's ministry without getting angry? Or when was the last time you accepted trouble from your sister in Christ or from your kids or from your husband without getting upset? According to Paul, if we are not doing that, we are not walking according to our calling. Love is another fruit of the Spirit that we see in this passage. Although in this Ephesians passage, Paul adds the emphasis of we need to bear with one another in love. Um, Of course, we probably all know the passages that talk about love, like 1 Corinthians 13. We also see a clear picture of it in 1 John 3, 16 through 18. Or it talks about love in this way. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Our love should be visible by the things that we do or we're just going to be resounding gongs and clinging cymbals. When our actions and not just our words show love, then we are truly being loving. Peace is the last word that we see in both lists. And peace means um, lack of conflict, Um, but not because we're all the same, right? In scripture, unity does not mean uniformity. Um, so if we are all the same, we wouldn't need to maintain the unity with the bonds of peace. Instead, ours is the unity that comes from being attached to one vine, having one source of life-giving power. As we keep reading down in Ephesians 4, we see it very clearly. There is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to one hope that belongs to your call one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Do you see it? We're called to be one body by one God into one hope through one spirit. But our gifts are individual. We're not all the same. And that's why God's design. Christ gives us different gifts because we are different individuals, and this is what makes our peaceful unity such a uniquely beautiful thing. The last several months in our country have revealed a huge disunity that some of us knew existed all along but took others of us by surprise. And this is not the time or the place to dig into these deep issues, and I'm definitely not the person to be addressing them. I did want to acknowledge that no matter what is happening out in the world, in the church, God is doing something different. He is unifying believers by His one spirit, and He's building up one body in love and is equipping us individually to be held together collectively. May we all prayerfully seek ways to maintain this unity that is already ours in Christ with sisters and brothers who are different than us. Um, Romans 12.12 gives us a very short list of things that we can do to seek to build this unity through being vital parts of a community. And it reads, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. So we're just going to quickly look at those. The first one, rejoice in hope. Paul David Tripp, in his book, New Morning Mercies, has this great reminder. Hope isn't a thing. Hope isn't a set of circumstances. Hope isn't first a set of ideas. Hope is a person, and his name is Jesus. He came to earth to face what you face and to defeat what defeats you so that you would have hope. When we remember that Jesus is our hope, it's easier to rejoice. And we will be building better community when we encourage one another to rejoice in our hope, which is Christ. The second thing we see is be patient in tribulation. And if you remember that definition of patience earlier, the capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry or upset. So that means we don't have to put on a good face all the time or pretend we're not experiencing tribulation. And a few verses down in Romans 12, we read, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. We are going to experience tribulation and troubles and hardships. And when we do, it is right to weep and it is good to do that with other people, but it doesn't have to end there. We need to be able to tolerate these tribulations without getting angry or upset and that is hard to do but it looks like trusting God's plan for our lives and believing that he is working in the midst of every situation and we can only do that by doing the last part of this verse which is being constant in prayer prayer acknowledges that we are not in control It is asking the sovereign God of the universe to help us with every big and little thing in our life. It reminds us that God sees and cares about the tiniest details and he is powerful enough to handle the biggest problems. Asking our community to pray for us is a way to show humility and being constant in prayer allows us time to ask the Lord Um, to bind our hearts together with other believers as we're praying the things that they want us to pray for. I want to end our time looking at community um, by sharing a list that I think is very practical um, that comes from our women's ministry training. Hopefully it will encourage us as we seek to build deeper community with those around us. It's a list of 16 marks of covenant relationships, and what I'm going to try to do is share my screen so that you can see it um, as I read it along, and if not, if you can't see it, then you'll just have to listen to me, Um, but this is what it says. Covenant relationships are safe. Oh, I think I didn't share my screen. Um, I'm going to try to go back into that. Um, So here it goes. Covenant relationships are safe. Covenant relationships are characterized by grace. Covenant relationships point each other to God. Covenant relationships do not allow excuses to justify each other's sin. Covenant relationships deal with the messiness of life. Covenant relationships believe the best of others. Covenant relationships do not allow people to live in self-absorption. Covenant relationships promote peacemaking. Covenant relationships sacrifice personal preference for God's glory and the good of the church. Covenant relationships are accepting of one another. Covenant relationships are edifying, and covenant relationships point one another to the gospel. I'm sorry, now I'm having a hard time getting back to my thing. Um, It is our prayer that as you walk as these broken vessels shining out God's light, that you will be able to have these Christ-honoring covenant relationships that are deep and growing. And as we pray with each other, rejoice with each other, weep with each other, We will be more like Christ and help each other to see the hope that we have in the Lord as he is changing us from death to life, these tiny transformations as Rachel was talking about. We are so thankful that you took the time to listen to this session, and we are very sorry that we couldn't be with y'all in person, and we hope that one day we will get to meet y'all. I would love to close our time with prayer, and um, that will be the end, so let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for um, the peace that is ours in you. We thank you that you are our hope and that you are transforming us more and more into your likeness every day. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: You can hear more talks like this by subscribing to the Gifts and Graces podcast. You can also hear more content like this by attending a seminar at General Assembly. They're free and open to the public. Find out times and locations by visiting pcaga.org. Thanks for listening to Gifts and Graces.